This one's for Drew, Rachel, and Muffin. Hey, buddies. You know, the thing about it is that you really need to look deep inside and wonder if four people on a podcast, occasionally three, but, you know, who's counting, can really sustain themselves in this evolving world. I look out to my fellow men and think to myself, are they really being fulfilled? And as we sit here on this holiday season asking for shit that we don't even want, this is why the communal outreach is, is so special, you know, it, it it just breaks my heart to know that there are people out there who just don't know what to do. But but really, they come from a background of such self-sustainability that they have all the answers. They're, they're just not they're just not using it. So this holiday season, I, I implore you. Hit the gym. Don't be a sack of shit. Kick depression in its ass. I, I have my point here about. You don't realize the the the, the, the Karl Marx said that the material is all, all that right, matters you could, you, you when it comes to up, all you, the you, classes. You kook. Sh- shut shut I'm the so hell confused. up, okay? I, I just need you to understand that this is a global pandemic, not like the one we've had for three years. Triple demic, they're calling it. But okay, I'm I'm just gonna hang up the towel there. Uh, <laughs> You know, you approached me with this, and you wanted me to do this because uh, Drew had such a, a, a laugh riot from our last attempt at doing this, and I, I've been a little, I've been a little shaky in my impressions lately. You know, like if you would have asked me to do Ben Shapiro, I would have been like, "Well, Ryan, that's easy." You know, but Ben Shapiro, he he can't debate anyone except the college students because he knows. That deep, deep down, I'm losing breath. <laughs> that deep down, he's incapable of actually standing up to anyone of actual intellect of a Lacanian sense. Really? Okay. Well, I mean, uh, our. Uh... <laughs> well, see, the thing is, the reason why I go into these college campuses is because, well, these liberals, these dumb, obnoxious snowflakes, they don't have the degrees. And even in the degrees that they're majoring in, what does it even matter? So uh, that's why I stand up on my high horse. And, um, you know, when I'm not broadcasting the uh, the Daily Wire, this is how I make my ends meet. You know, never mind the law degree and established violinist career. You know, never mind that. So uh, (laughs) also, Ben, aren't you 40 and you still think you're this wonderkin? I think that's pretty, pretty pathetic coming from some some. Someone who thinks he's the new uh, William Buckley. I think if anything, you should just focus on raising your family. And maybe read some more uh, Foucault. <laughs> Matt, um, Matt's questioning his life choices. <laughs> oh, Again. I've been questioning my life choices you know, for the past two weeks. You know, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that you have four obnoxious 20-something-year-olds in a Zoom call. Doing a podcast. This they is think that they're 20-something. They think that they're profound, but they're really not. Because you know why? 
they keep getting owned by us conservatives. So I'm just going to go on a limb here and say, when, when, when you can't go right, don't go left. Just, I, oh God, I, I don't even know, man. <laughs> I was going to throw out like a, like a, some obnoxious Prager you quote, but at the end of the day, I, which one, you know? Uh, anyway, can, can we, can we get back to reality already? Yeah, let's, let's, let's oh, do that because I, I feel like that, 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 that had about as much steam as a, as a Tesla rocket or whatever spacex rocket what have you uh well that was actually going to be the original point of the of this of this uh peterson v zizek follow-up was i guess peterson's been very much on the elon train mm. and uh i i have i have i mean i don't know how one finds i probably zizek's honestly, opinion on the the elon twitter news so it's not like he's on social media himself but everything that i've said pretty much stands i can't imagine jordan peterson saying anything less to the average 20 something 30 somethings out there who want to establish their footprint in the world going to the uh to the grand vizier that is elon and being like this is how you 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 put your foot on the world, not knowing that the footprint that they're leaving is really more carbon than anything, and being like, "Oh well, you should be like him." H have you seen what Elon's doing lately? I don't think anyone would want to be like him. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's Peterson just trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator because every man in a 20 mile radius would look at a successful businessman and be like, "Ooh, I want to be that." Really, I'm looking at it as like, Jordan, you make a substantial amount of money on your own being the persona that you are. And even though it's not to the leaps and bounds that is Musk, you're doing better than the average 20 to 30 somethings that you're preaching and proselytizing to. So who the fuck are you really like hoarding in here? You know, like wanting to listen to your message. Well, he's doing better than the average college professor, and that's sure. not only just because of his celebrity status, but just because of his 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 acquiescence to. Okay, but how does I don't that... want to say where he's been pigeonholed, but it's it's the act. He's basically accepted. He's accepted what his beliefs stand for, and has doubled down on them so much so that he's just gonna ride the wave into something i don't know but how hey. does that how does that help average joes like us who don't have that same level of acquiesce it's the same question of like how does so, elon's anything help anybody like elon right. musk jordan peterson whoever it's like i can understand benefit i can understand taking a stance and being like okay the, you know it, it really just rings true the whole oh seven seven secrets to success or whatever fucking number you want to conjure up it's like okay yeah i could follow those and maybe live a fulfilling life if i want to follow in that person's footsteps but i don't know i think sort of like one of the quintessential things of like i i could be wrong just being a human in general is to leave some sort of legacy and by that same token i think i even briefly mentioned this you can follow someone's shadow just don't stay in it and then it leaves uh, and then it leaves those uh, those expectations where if you don't achieve that level, who's to say that you're not in a worse place than when you started? You'll just be the guy who couldn't be like Jordan Peterson or Elon Musk. And oh, well, I mean, I guess that's that's a shame for a lot of for a lot of young men. So welcome to Mars on life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's leave the young, the, the, the young, the young men behind. Uh, yeah. Let's leave them behind for now. Oh, boys, it's the holiday season. 
honestly can't believe it. Uh, it. It feels like yesterday we were recording the season two finale, and here we are uh, at the precipice of the season three finale. It's a, it's a completely different world. And, of course, this, uh, this episode drops on a very special day for uh, somebody. Yeah, I'll be 28 when this episode airs, so that'll be... Unbelievable. Uh, Ew, you're old. Well, and then and then I, I have to fact check you, Seb. You said there were four somethings on this show. Andrew's mm. 31. I mean, we kind of, like, outnumber you're, him, you're... so, like by, like, by nature, you know? Like, we... I'm just going to say three to one and just, you know, I'm 75% right. Then I'm going to, I'll take that. My God. Anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh... <laughs> okay. Yeah. It doesn't feel any different than uh, 27. I got to admit, if anything, it's just, I think I'm glad of the fact that I adhered to my desire to not still be, in northern Los Angeles County at 30, so I'm I'm very grateful that I've made that escape, landed the job, and now now I get to drive through snow, which uh, I hope to not do all that frequently. I've done it once, don't recommend it. Driving through snow, it's not a good thing. It's not great, especially when you're driving from Boston. That was a little woof, but um, yeah. How was that? Uh, how, how was how was sacrificing Los Angeles traffic for uh, <laughs> Massachusetts snow? Is it one and the same, or is it just a matter of like, is it still inconvenient? I mean, it's it's like apples and oranges. I, I have to admit, if you're it, now, if we're talking comparing traffic here versus there, I mean, I've heard my fair share from people here that there are at least there are at least two freeways here that are said <laughs> to be horrible uh could i even do i even know them by heart at this point no because i a haven't been on them and b people keep telling me oh they're the worst it, you've never been on anything worse in your life when you're driving and i'm look looking at them like uh the 405 the five freeway those are like mm -hmm. the highways of hell so right you you can't you can't say oh well we have it really bad here and look at me like oh you don't know you you're new you you have no idea because you're from Southern California where it's just blank like I don't know mm -hmm. what they expect because they've probably not been there and they probably I mean you know I mean I always I always imagine you're just sacrificing one thing for another so if it's a matter of not having enough if it's not <clears throat> if it's a matter of not having a lot of people there. You have the elements to worry about, you know, like it's it's the reason why no one wants to stop and live in Wyoming, because the lack of people it's made up for in the amount of uh, uh, wind velocity that'll just tip your ass over and send right. you halfway across the state. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it sounds inconvenient. But then again, I think it's just I, I'm wondering if you're still if it's still a matter of. This is uh this is your honeymoon phase and it still is all very new to you and thus very exciting for you. That's difficult too because it's it's strange because I I keep having these moments where I try and think about you know just having more moments to go out and not feel always compelled between you know just compelled to stay here just for the thought of you know I got to do this and I got to do that but also just staying due to the elements like mm -hmm. I moved at a really weird time where I had a window of summer left 
summer, fall really, and that window has just completely shrunken down, and now it's the perpetual wait until April, May for life to continue. The thing is, is that this is all what is considered normal over here, so obviously it's a far cry from the way it is in Los Angeles, Southern California, it doesn't even need to be Los Angeles, just the whole, the whole, that whole Southern part of the state. If anything, it's just kind of getting used to that feeling of like, okay, well, I'm probably going to be spending extra time in my apartment that I wasn't necessarily looking forward to, but it's the nature of the beast. And like, it doesn't mean I'm not going to try and go out when I can, because it's like, hey, I can... People can still walk around in snow, people can still try and live some kind of life. It's just that, I mean, hell, it's no different than if you were living up near uh, Mammoth or Yosemite back home. So, you know, I think what is what would be considered the Ice Age out here is both considered normal up here, but also normal anywhere else that is basically, has this kind of weather all year round. The big difference, obviously, is that I think Mammoth loose and Yosemite loosen up a bit come springtime, whereas here it's like you've got to be at the like precipice of summer for there to be any spring. We should be having more snow right now, and we should be having more of that weather as of November. And here we are late December, and we've really only had like a couple days of meh. When I say meh, I mean like brutally cold snow and weather so if anything too and I'll, I'll add this as well as, as a conclusion I think in terms of the driving it's not all too different from how it was with the rain back home so it's kind of like if you're driving through snow here versus rain back there even if it's light snow and heavy rain what's the difference it's just the fact that like I saw a lot of accidents getting onto the freeway so I was like I got an hour and a half of this great I will point out that you're still referring to California as home. <laughs> On a daily basis, like when I think of home, I think of heat right here. So it's, mm. I think if when I say back home, I guess I'm saying it meaning like still your guys' home. So, you know. Right, so. Well, home is where the audio setup is, I guess. <laughs> home is where the Wi Fi connects automatically. Oh, yeah. man. Anyway, yeah, well, the holiday season is here. I got gifts all around my feet right now i'm still waiting on uh smashing's gift oh you're it's... gonna love it it's nice too because um yesterday i was out shopping and i get this text from from matt saying like dude i didn't know basically the gift i got him i didn't know this even existed i'm like oh yeah there we go and i'm sort of hoping with you ryan that it's the same exact thing because Knowing you and knowing your hobbies, I had a feeling of what you were going to get me. At least, you know, the medium of which of what you were going to get me. On the flip side, I'm wondering if you may be able to guess what I got you. See, Ryan okay, got me would... a medium that matched the medium I was giving everybody else. Mm, okay. And I'm wondering, is is the is the bagel thing because I said that I don't like bagels? Is it was that the joke? <laughs> It was that, but it was also, like, my realizing that, man, if I went to college with Matt, I, I would have brought him to my uh, fraternity. 
So, uh, in that way, to, to mine and Sebastian's fraternity. So, in that sense, it was it seemed appropriate. Plus, uh, w without giving anything away, I know that there was at least one nickname for our organization that did involve bagels. Which and plus, like I, I <laughs> you know what, I like bagels. I, I, I the history of bagels. It's a good history. I, mean, I, like a, I like a nice cinnamon raisin bagel. Don't get me wrong. There you mm -hmm. go. I'm just not yeah. an everything bagel kind of guy. <laughs> no, That's fine. Same here, because it's not the taste. It's the fact that over the years, in my natural teeth shifting, uh, shit gets stuck, and I don't like it. It's not a good feel, and I hate having to, to taste poppy seeds after after hours. I, I just... Mmm, opium. There, there's nothing like... Get ready for that Seinfeld episode, by the way. There's nothing like eating a bagel that looks like just a Jackson Pollock splooged all over it, you know? Tastes good, looks appetizing, but it's it's a mess. Through and through, it is a mess. But maybe that's just sort of the artistry behind it. Uh, can I, I feel like this is as good a segue as any to jump into um the burning topic that we've been actually talking about for a while i don't know if we're doing it on this episode or not but uh well actually i hate to cut you off i i wanted to ask did my gift get to you because i've heard radio yes, silence did. okay it okay yes. okay um i don't did. know if you'd opened it or if you're waiting for the holiday for christmas yeah. <laughs> or okay okay i'm a 24 year old man who if i see a package with my name on it I'm I'm about as giddy as Indiana Jones is when he sees a treasure. You know, when he when he saw the Ark of the Covenant, oh, I got to open it. It's a box. I got to open it. It's a package. I got to open it. Well, technically, wait, oh, no, he what, did open oh, it. He just didn't look in. Oh, what right? horrors awaited me inside! But no, know, he he didn't open it. He didn't open it. Yeah, he he doesn't. Oh. He didn't open it. That's a that's a bad <clears throat> analogy, Sebastian. The Nazis Belloc do open it up, it. and when Belloc has all the sand coming out, Indy can see that. Mm. So, but he he's far enough away. away. He's yeah. not looking into the ark. He's just seeing the sand come out of Belloc's hands, and you know, tote being all. <laughs> it has been a while since I've seen the uh, trilogy, the original trilogy. I'm Indy not so five coming. I'm not so hot about Indy number five, but and now Mambo number five. You know, like uh. no, <laughs> I'm good. I, I, Is I won't... Vega even still alive? As who? Lou Vega, Mambo no. number five man. <laughs> I don't know. Beats me. Well, I I have to ask, what what did you think of? Uh, I know, and I also know Matt got my gift because he, you couldn't resist. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I just saw my name on a package and I opened it. it okay. <laughs> it struck a chord with me when I opened it because I knew when we were talking about um, uh, Barbara Ehrenreich. I think you even explicitly said, Seb, this is a book that you need to read. Um, and sort of silently at the same time, I've been sort of going through my own little quarter life crisis as it comes closer and closer to February. But I think I've popped the question once or twice being like, you know, is there even really like a middle class in California anymore? And I will say that like, post undergrad and current grad and god knows what else there is after that it's sort of tough finding your way when there's so much left that needs to be done in terms of like uh fixing certain socio-political things like 
I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that because of my position currently that like, oh, I'm on the top, but it's it's just one of those instances where you realize that like like the grass is always greener, but then on the flip side of that coin, you know, not you know, every all that glitters isn't gold kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but think to myself that like, although I love being in the position that I'm in. There's always that, you know, itching feeling in the back of my head that, you know, did I make, did I truly make the right decision? And would I be happier in, say, another position or, you know, going under another discipline? Because, I mean, I'm the type of person that, like, looks at something interesting and immediately just wants to get into it. You know, it's not for the rarity. It's not for the collectability of it. It's it's not even, like, as a hobby, you know? Like, I just started watching that uh that new Wednesday show. Mm-hmm. And there was this one episode that goes into like different types of like horticulture and things like that. And I'm like I'm like, that's really interesting. And immediately my girlfriend Heather looks over at me and it's like, No, don't get into that. Don't get swallowed into a new obsession. And it's like it's like, fuck, am I really that obvious? So <laughs> I think for as much as your 20s, or really any time in your life, but like, I guess, insert X age, because it really could be any age, insert X age where you're getting into something for the first time. It's interesting. And I want to get into it. The thing is, is that as an adult, you don't have all the time in the world to do it. So you got to pick and choose your battles. I mean, I'm at that point now, and I've mentioned it before. I don't think I mentioned it to the same extent. Or, or whatever but it's like i'm at this point where with the, all the apartment stuff we were looking at, at places and it's like if i really wanted to live on like scraping by each month i could have gotten the apartment i could be there right now like today would have been the day we were going to move in mm-hmm. um but it's just financially it didn't make sense for me because i didn't want to essentially be living almost paycheck to paycheck it just looking out down the long run it's just like it's it's although my heart is really into this place now like I don't know if I can justify because, like, what if I don't get my promotion next? What am I, what am right. I going to do? I'm not going to be able to afford this. I'm like banking on the fact that, even though like it's almost like it, it's very close to certain I will be, there's always that chance that the world goes tits up again and mm-hmm. I lose my job or social media implodes because thank you, Elon, or whatever happens. Like the future, especially in my field, is so uncertain. And like the woman who hired me. For the DC team all these years ago. Well, not even all this years ago, two years. Last year. No, no, 20, 2021. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you were year. still working on the bat for the Batman. So that yeah. was leading up to 2022. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the woman who hired me last year, um, she'd been at this company for five years and shit happened. They didn't, they were phasing out her position and she's gone now. So it's like, that really, and I was like, I'm not a praying person, but just when, things get stressful i'm like okay i need just like let's give this a long shot and i'm like okay if you're up there if you're listening if you're paying attention give me a sign to see whether i should go through with this or if i need to focus on like maybe going to grad school or something and the day that we were like initially supposed to have the lease done and signed um i get that bit of news from her and it's like oh maybe i should reconsider what I'm doing with my life. And so now it's like, do I, do I stick in this field? Because like, I'm not making it a lot now, but it's like, 
I'm only a year in. I have to realize that like, even though I'm 27, I'm literally just starting in this field. Right. And I'm making a little more than a starting salary, but like, if I get my promotion, I'll be at like a decent, like salary earning wage. But then it's, it's at that point where like Sebastian, you said, we're not, we're in our twenties at this point. And it's like me and Ryan are in the late twenties and we don't have all the time in the world. So I need to determine whether or not I want to stick with this career and right. see where it goes. Or do I, do I look for something that is more stable, like getting a master's in education, becoming a teacher or getting an RN and doing that, which is like not at all my passion. I don't want to be <laughs> surrounded by fluids and potentially mm -hmm. like diseased folks or old people or disease or the next COVID every day. But it's like, there's a lot of money in that field and it's always a field that's in need. Whereas like, if I go into teaching, yes, I think I will be a lot happier in that. But And I've been talking to other teachers that I know about this and it's like, yeah, but you have to realize that for two, pretty much a year or maybe two years, I really won't be working. I mean, I mean maybe you know, one year I wouldn't be working if I go through the UCLA program and I accepted one whole year, I wouldn't be working because I'd be student teaching. And then the next year I'd be taking a pay cut to work at like an LA inner city school for a year. And then after that, that's if I get a job at a, at a school, that's when I um start having to work my way up the pay scale. And eventually like depending on school district, you can make six figures as a teacher, but you have to be like maxing out your potential pay with like grad school credits and, and everything. And that's going to take another what 15 years before I'm making that. And a lot of teachers don't even make it past five years. So it's, it's at that weird, I was telling Ryan before we recorded, it's like, I wish there was that option in real life that is in RPG games where you can save a file and see where your choice goes. If you don't like it, go back to that save, make a different choice. That's such a great analogy because to piggyback off of that, I wish the, I wish the whole like grinding for experience points in an RPG actually f had a real world application as opposed to what you would typically see in a video game because uh, I bring up 20s and that sort of spectrum because that is essentially all I'm hearing going into being 25 in a couple months. And it ranges from basically people saying, oh, well, your 20s are just a throwaway to your 20s are some of your most important developmental years of your life to you really got to buckle down and make sure that you get shit done so that you can enjoy your 40s and 50s because your 30s, supposedly, is when you really get your career off the ground in terms of advancement. I'm of the belief that there's really no set time frame to do anything in life because if if we're really banking on the fact that an average human lifespan is about 80, and that's really kind of pushing it, especially what's going on in the world, I would like to be the individual ideally, who wants to go with option three and do all the things that I can do before my body just completely keels over, okay? You know, I'm not speaking from some Ayn Rand libertarian wet dream where, oh, everything, the fruits of my labor have to be realized. But, you know, when I go to college and when I get an undergraduate degree or when I go to when I go through my master's program and when I get my MBA, I would like it to 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 fucking mean something. OK, we talked before starting this saying that, like, I, I think actually I know I brought this up, that a master's degree is basically the equivalent of a bachelor's degree 10 to 15 years ago, because every single position that I was applying for having my bachelor's degree 
didn't account for much. And what that basically meant was my resume was thrown into the paper shredder. It wasn't until I put the fact that I was pursuing one that I got a foot in the door. Okay. Do you really think if nobody had to, do you really think people would go through extra job training or extra educational training, especially with the costs that they're going for now? I think it depends on the person. Depends on the person, sure. But if it's a decent job with a decent salary, a decent livable salary, I'll you know I'll interchange that word there. Do do you really think people would would, would give a shit? Not really, honestly. Right. And again, I know other things with your time, money. Effort. And that's and that's kind of my thing too, because to the individuals who say that, oh, you know, your twenties are just a throwaway. I think that is sort of secret code for your twenties shouldn't be a throwaway where you just get strung up on drugs, alcohol, and various vices that completely end your life prematurely, but to stop and smell the roses once in a while. And to do things that actually entice you outside of work and maybe school. Because I'll tell you firsthand, it burns you the hell out when you pursue too many things at once. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I've said it off air. I'll probably say it on air for the first time, you know, as someone who looks back to early 50s and 60s culture and finds that it was a basically three-path system where you like, you could either go to school, go to work, or join the military. I find myself joining all three and still am left with more questions than answers. You know, here I am essentially grinding for EXP. I don't feel like I have much to show for it. I thought that the labors would be eventually realized by now, because while I'm not necessarily trying to fast track my life, I'm trying to look at the world around me and basically be like, okay, well, how do I prepare myself for it? Without sounding too much like an entrepreneurial douche and just think that i have the answers to everything because i know i don't you know it makes me wonder it makes me wonder if education was right for me or a different career path or well i mean i can safely say that i've enjoyed my time in the military thus far so you got two that i'm on the fence about so that's where uh what i got you which was uh fear of falling which is it's funny that's barbara ehrenreich's more probably her it's hard to say, but I, I would argue that based on what I've heard, I am terrified of falling. Yes, but if I well, have, yeah, some, it's, but it's, I have, but if I have some perspective on what's below, that's all that counts. Well, it, her her argument in that is, and, and I think this is, it gets into a larger argument and discussion that we're not going to get into in this episode. We have other things to discuss besides having a lot of her work focus on the state of working women in the United States and obviously uh, just working class folks with her book, uh, Nickel and Dimed, which is, that was the book that kind of set her on a higher pedestal where everybody was basically like, wow, this is one of the best writers of our time. Fear of Falling is both often either forgotten to some extent uh, condemned to another extent and elevated to another extent. And I, I'm obviously in the elevated category because her whole argument is you have a lot of people that are middle-class Americans that are very much in that category that, I, you know, it's it can be used as a, as a term to slam other people, but it's also 
practical in explaining sort of the different facets of the middle class and you know the three of us fit into this category the whole idea of a you know professional managerial class which is it's basically that that sort of more methodical technical learned you know going to college like basically that part of the middle class that strives to be you know potentially at, that that class that has the inevitability to become corporate is the easiest way I can put it, um, or becoming some kind of quote-unquote expert. And while it's something that is occasionally deserving of criticism, it's also something that really goes to show the divides that we have just with each other in this country. And she dates it as far back as she can in the book. I, I'm fascinated to know what you think obviously i mean it's not that long of a book it looks thick but it's like close to 300 pages i think um but it, i think if anything it'll it'll i think probably give you a lot of answers and at least a lot more a lot more intel on what you've talked about throughout this season and on top of that too i, I should point out and this other book of hers I, I haven't read but it's kind of a sequel to both Nickel and, more so Nickel and Dime, but kind of a sequel to Fear of Falling. Oh, God, what was it called? Uh, I think it was like Bait and Switch is what it's called. And um, in a lot of ways, it's what you and I, Seb, talked about at the very beginning of this season. See, see Matt, it's like poetry. It all rhymes. Um, which <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> which is that uh, basically how is it that you can get out of college? And she wrote this in the early 2000s, by the way. You know, the, the whole joke I made at one point of, oh, was Lou Bloom from Nightcrawler dealing with the, uh, you know, great reshuffle and whatnot back in 2014. This stuff was going on years ago. And her argument is basically that you can get out of college, be completely ready for a job out of college with a degree, with whatever experience you may have garnered being in school, and yet all of the new practices and changes that were going on with the whole just hiring process at the turn of the century was so was so broken and was such a terrible way of trying to figure out how oh this is the right person for the job well is it and she tried going through the same process she went through in nickel and dimed where nickel and dimed it was like okay i'm basically going to create a whole new identity for myself and try and live off as much money as any other working class person would in america working at you know, as a as a uh, house cleaner or a Walmart employee, and she tried doing the same thing with in bait and switch. The irony, of course, being that like it all just blew up in her face, and she was like, "Well, clearly we have a system in place that is really screwing up the middle class in this country from actually advancing in any kind of meaningful way." So, and it's all the same. Like I said, it's all the same stuff we talked about uh, early on in season three of how is it that you've got all these people that have great and again what you guys were just talking about at the start of this episode which is how is it you have so many people that go to college they get the experience they get the degree and it's all for naught and basically you've got to go above and beyond where you know a master's or a phd oh no that's the actual bachelor's degree and it's like well then why it, it doesn't you know. help it doesn't help as well that you often have a lot of individuals who have had bachelor's and master's 
or even PhDs and their already established careers, not taking once to note the fact that the system changing around them has created a system where they are grandfathered in to the salaries that they have. Okay. And these are people who may not even have continuing education past high school. Okay. But it lets them sit on their soapbox and talk down to those individuals who think, you know, who, who, who know that college is the next step to essentially gainful employment. But no, it's a complete educational shift. It's a complete societal, educational, and in many ways, political shift that favors elder individuals who are, like I said, already established in their careers. And it's like, I understand that the whole notion of respecting your elders and thinking that, you know, what what they did worked and what they think is what is best. And maybe in some nuanced categories, sure. But how does that help individuals who have more options in the job market, but less opportunity to pursue it? Because while, yes, the whole notion that like blue collar work will never go away if you're passionate about blue collar work because you think that that's where the money is, okay, sure. But I think more often than not, our generation is more aspiring to do something white collar, something yep. more corporate. Okay. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. All right. At least no, that it, was sort of the, the pretense that I had because it's like, why the fuck else would you be cons- pursuing anything collegiate if it meant that you didn't have to work at McDonald's? The The whole push of the early 2000s with all of us was we're going to create a whole new generation of PMC workers and the funny part and and this corporation that's who used to hire me for variety (laughs) this goes back to something she does talk about because that's the that's the other thing I will mention is that fear of falling it doesn't feel dated the book did come out in uh 89 she goes into a, a tremendous detail about the yuppies and how that was arguably the precursor to what we've had to live with for the last 20 years with both of our generations basically thinking, well, future is our oyster. And by the time we got there, the oyster had completely turned into uh, Hedera from that Godzilla movie where it just Mm -hmm. became the smog monster. So it was kind of like, and on top of that as well, she, the yuppies, like I said, the yuppies is definitely the precursor, but I will say it's less so, and again, this isn't trying to give away a lot from the book. There's a lot in it anyway, so there's really no way to spoil it. But I will say that she stresses upon the fact that it isn't so much that the political strife and especially just the changing dynamics that results in the yuppies and a PMC whatsoever, uh, it isn't so much just giving, basically just handing the future off to the older generation so they can do whatever with it. It's, It's more... A matter of well it's the more politically influential and it's basically the the higher class of the the you know the one percent if you will that winds up getting all of the just desserts that gets the keys to the castle that gets to run things companies states uh be president you know so it's that's basically where her argument lies in that you've got a whole sub-segment of the middle class that thinks they're going to run the world, but they're going to be trying to pursue that dream, 
you know, in perpetuity until they finally realize that they're always going to be under, under the thumb of the people above them, despite thinking they're in the same boat as the people above them. And that, you know, that could be people that are the same age as them. So, I mean, we got, we got yeah. people in Congress that are the same age as us. So it makes me wonder if, if, if these people saw that movie, the platform, if they would think differently about oh, it. Oh God. Oh my God, dude. You want to know what's kind of fucked? What? What? My job, which I've been working at for about a year and a half at this point. Well, not not quite a year and a half. Maybe a year and let's call it year four months. Mm -hmm. um, I sit around and I scroll the internet and I do <clears throat> pretty much fuck all. All day. In the grand scheme of things, my job's not important. I'm just a, a marketing body that does busy work. I mm -hmm. have a friend who lives in Florida. He is a college professor with two master's degrees, one in mathematics, one in electrical engineering. He makes less than I do as a college professor. I don't That's... I don't understand it. I don't know why that is. And also yeah. another fucked thing is like if I'm really serious about going into the profession of teaching, I need to realize that if I make this decision now, I could be Stealing that decision that one day I will walk into a school and be shot by a kid. And I will have to somehow figure out if I can afford to buy a bulletproof vest and a helmet so that I can make it out at the end of the day and hopefully keep some of my kids alive. It's absolutely fucked the state of America right now. Now, I, I wanted to be a teacher before I ever wanted to do journalism, I wanted to be a teacher. I, I, Admittedly, I changed my mind just before Sandy Hook, but it was like th this is the way the way that teachers are paid, the way that they're treated, and what they're able to actually do on the job. I mean, sad part is is that nothing's changed, you know, in the last ten years when I made that choice, and it was already bad to begin with. I, I really hate to take the selfish approach here, but sort of. Going back to Matt's point about like just pursuing higher education for the sake of doing so, it also makes me ask the question if whether or not there are individuals out there going for a master's degree because they legitimately want to, not not because of career advancement. And I would wager to guess that you're going to come up empty-handed. Certainly not me. You know? The only if, reason I was considering it is because the stability and career right. advancement and making more money just because I have another thing that said, hey, I paid money to have people grade me and lecture at me. But like it also Give makes me, me wonder it also makes me wonder too, because in the amount of articles and news stories that I read about individuals who um are welcomed into the news because they maybe donated a specific amount of money to a certain Ivy League school and got an honorary doctorate. It makes me wonder that if I were to procure a couple million dollars all at once, if I could just go that route and just get an honorary doctorate, not have to gruel all eight years and still get to wear the funny octagonal hat. Would you even have to specify on a on a resume that it's honor honorary just well would you even have to specify the fact that you went and got a degree in the first place and it's like i said before this episode it's like i'm not one for just lying outright for the sake of career advancement although i think a lot of people would disagree and say you know 
better to be a shark in the water than a fucking seal. But who's to say me applying for some corporate big wig position? And I say that I have a PhD in mathematics or some fucking analyst, you know, if I'm going for that position, let's just say in finance, I could conjure up interview skills good enough to land a job. And I didn't even have to go to school for it. Who's going to ask to see my degree? Now, again, I'm not saying this to advocate it to any stretch of the imagination, but I'm wondering if someone somewhere out there in the world has done this and have basically professed their prowess, their educational skills for the sake of a job, and they've never once set foot on a college campus. Frank Abagnale, if you want to go the (laughs) catch-me-if-you-can route. (laughs) Oh, you got me there. I think in a lot of ways, not to single them out, but why not? I mean, I'm pretty sure Brett Kavanaugh got on the trajectory he got on uh, mainly just because I think he had like a relative that either founded or is buried at one of the Ivy League schools. And it's like, I mean, look at fucker Carlson. Yeah. Fucking Swanson. Well, well, it also makes me wonder, too, that in society, we're sort of inundated to join these like social circles and these collegiate organizations. And you think that that would give you a leg up in the world because there's a you're 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 associating yourself with a subset of a subset of a subset of a demographic who propose themselves to be elite. And Ryan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know where this is going. I really expected that the organizations, and I say plural because I was part of several, would give me a leg up in the real world. And socially, they worked wonders societally i really don't think people give a shit anymore at least that's not what the that's not what the realization is you know you often hear people join greek life for instance probably the biggest proprietor or probably the biggest example and they end up getting themselves into these exclusive you know white collar uh mar-a-lago esque country club living <laughs> situations and you, you don't find that anymore. I think it depends on the school, though. Okay, I mean, like, I sure. Friends, sure I, I, sure. I know people I've talked to recently who got their jobs because they went to UCLA and their interviewer also was from UCLA. It's happened. You must be the luckiest individual in the world for that to work out in the way that it does. You know, because say your interviewer was from a rival school. Oh, you should have went to USC. And it's like, okay, but I thought me going to college was enough. Okay, give me the job that I've studied for. Mm-mm. Right last weekend, uh, Andrew and I we stopped at Harvard, and like you feel, you definitely feel the history of walking through that campus, and and sort of the immensity of it. But at the same time, too, you know, I I, I was sort of joking about how like yeah, where where's my uh, where where's our uh, brothers in arms and. You know, it it kept dawning on me, like, the whole notion of, like, if I stopped by the house and tried to make my way through, like, it it just, there was that aspect to it that made me feel not inadequate in any way, but just, like, it, it, I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, what is, what is our alma mater to this place? So, it's, like, I can, I can do whatever I can to say, believe me, I am a member of, Here's my card, you know, but at the same time, like, am I, am I going to come across as, uh, 
you know, just some uh, bum from across the country, or is it going to be a matter of, well, you made it here, you might as well hang out with us. So I, regardless, it's, I mean, we've had the discussion about sort of the, the state of education and, and trying to meander into jobs with said education, with said credentials. And I think going forward, it's, it's, it's just going to continue to be a, a disaster for a lot of folks. But anyway, uh, just to roll along with business, uh, with business, like we're having a meeting. Uh, it is a meeting. It's a podcast, you see. You see, a long time ago, Andrew and I had a discussion, and it was all about a certain mindset that I'm sure at this point, I know Matt's a part of this mindset uh, mentality, if you will. Uh, Sebastian has just joined it. Ladies and gentlemen, we finally have the latest convert to the hobo man mindset. You know, the whole convert. idea of the what? Convert. Yes. What you think I what you think I like this movie? <laughs> you saw it, so you're a convert. Oh, oh, I saw it. Sure, <laughs> but you know, going to but going to Guyana doesn't necessarily make me a member of Jonestown if I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Now did now did it? <laughs> you didn't drink the Kool-Aid? I'm still here. Man, I mean, I, I went back and forth from, from the Vatican, and I'm still not a Catholic. I'm still yeah. an Italian, but I'm still not a Catholic, so... Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I made it out of, of, of Koresh's compound. I, I, made it all, I made it out, okay? <laughs> um, you mentioned once or twice, and those numbers are very, very liberal, <laughs> because I know it was more than once or twice. <laughs> Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> I did watch the movie. I'm, I'm not. I'm not dramatic. Pausing here. I know it, it's the fact. It, I'm, just, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts here because okay. I watched the movie in bits and pieces. Admittedly, you know, interspersed throughout my work day when I got home, things like that. Ideally, it's not the way to watch a movie. Ideally, it's it's best to watch a movie all in one. You know, you don't stop prematurely from reading if you're not at the end of a chapter. I thought to myself, okay, well, I really didn't do myself justice by watching it in this manner, so I watched it again. And then I watched it a third time. What? Yeah, because I, I really, Ryan and Matt, I really <laughs> wanted to see what the hubbub was about Jake Gyllenhaal's latest jaunt into a world of elitism that I have been very much earning to talk about if this was season one or two, okay? It's not to say that the problem doesn't exist. It's not to say that whenever I walk into an art gallery that I can immediately tell who's who and who has a fucking chip on their shoulder, okay? It's not that I'm entirely unable to read the room and think to myself, wow, not only do I never want to be like that type of person... I don't want to even correspond with that type of person because what's worse than an art critic, an art critic that's still living and breathing. Okay. <laughs> watching the movie, watching Morph, Vanderwalt, Rodora, John, Gretchen, Piers, and Josephina. I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's an all-star cast of the worst personalities of all time in the art world. These people are so completely inundated with not what the art represents, but how much money they could be given 
for this type of for this type of work. And even in the beginning, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, Morph, he going around saying like, wow, that's trash. That's just that that's obscene. No one should pay anything from that. And people just these are heinous. These are heinous. Right. Love that scene. I did I thought, that once at an eye doctor. It was great. <laughs> I thought to myself, okay, this must be a parody. This must be satire, okay? Because no one person actually acts like this until I saw it for myself Uh-oh. firsthand at art exhibits, predominantly pop art, predominantly art that our generation has more or less cultivated mm-hmm. where everyone wants to be an art critic nowadays. Everyone wants to get their five minutes of fame for calling everything a steaming pile. Uh, needless to say, people were doing this 10, 15 years back, but I digress. But it took a turn for the worse because everyone is like this in their own way. Everyone is terrible. Everyone doesn't care about the art aside from from fucking what it's worth and not only that you have this social group of artists who want to believe that their pieces or i guess they're um because some of them aren't even some not all of them are art critics some of them are artists and some of them are um like cultivators like oh we're gonna be showcasing this they're they're like art gallery owners yeah art gallery owners yeah right and they're all competing against each other but not really but at the same time kisses like fuck off it's it's this it's this lackluster attempt to instill a sense of artistic integrity and community might i add if they're sort of all gunning for each other's position yeah and out of all of them out of all of them the one who i feel the most sympathy for is natalie natalie dyer otherwise known as coco the intern um you want to talk about hits close to home Buddy, I can't even tell you how many people who have left their fucking podunk towns in a spot in aspiration for something greater like New York or Los Angeles. And then the realization comes where, oh, surprise, surprise, if everyone's not dead by the time this is over, uh, their personalities have driven them away. As I'm watching this movie, I'm, I'm realizing more and more, not gratification of it, but more or less like understanding of why this movie is the way it is mm-hmm. because i'm going through this movie in the first 15 minutes i'm seeing and i'm seeing pretentious dialogue people who want to just claw their way to the top and above all just does not care about the art that's in front of them and or what's representative of uh anything past monetary value until they start getting killed off one by one final destination style and out of all of it, out of all of them, I will say that Zaw Ashton, Josephina, probably the most deserved because she had the potential of being a character who didn't have to go the route that she did, but was sort of overcome by greed and notoriety that it just made me kind of feel good when she just got trapped in the mural that she did. And personally, I didn't feel bad about anything bad that happened to her because the allure of an artist who didn't want to make himself known and subsequently dying and then her subsequently stealing all of his life's work it feels good when people get their just desserts and at the by the end of the movie i'm like okay this is this is more so uh th- this is what i'm talking about kind of thing 
of course, Morph in the beginning was someone who I just couldn't stand. But at the end of it, I mean, it was it was kind of sad to see him go because it's like he seemed to be the one who woke up. Yeah. And uh, yep. John Malkovich, Piers, just didn't want to be included. And I could respect that because everyone's going around think, saying like, oh, what's the next biggest thing? What's the next, you know, latest piece? Damrish. Ooh. <laughs> and, and and he... David Diggs and his... Oh, oh, his oh David Diggs <clears throat> and John Malkovich. Ironically, them sticking to their own guns and understanding what's most important to them end up being the smart ones. Wow, there's a life outside of just showcasing your work at a gallery. Aside from just artistic fulfillment, I mean, that just blows me away. Um, all in all, I will say that while this movie didn't necessarily blow me away for the reasons that I think that that you intended it to, it was more or less satisfying seeing what I saw. Right. Um, I'm really keeping it general because I do, you know, I, I do like encourage people to check out Velvet Buzzsaw and I'm... And uh, while I don't regret the fact that it took me that it took me this long to see it, I'm admittedly glad that I saw it in the time frame and the headspace that I was in because it should come as a surprise that like you can't take it with you in the end. So why even bother trying to climb this infinitesimal mountain? You know, oh, at the end of the tunnels is, is all this is all this notoriety and status, and it's like at the end of the day. You don't know that, and if you go too far, this is what shows. Mm -hmm. I would rather just be peers frolicking on the beach and being in my own headspace, which was very satisfying to see at the end of the movie. I think the last five minutes when sort of the whole like replication argument and and everyone experiencing, um, oh man, what's what's the artist's name? Oh my goodness, really, yeah. Uh... Like, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen the movie enough times I should know this. Like, <laughs> oh my god. What? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just... Um... Uh, Vetral Deese. Here we Vetral go. Deese. Vetral yeah, Deese. I didn't even have to look it up. I, I It finally just popped in there like Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. The, the last five minutes, um, <laughs> spoiler to a movie that came out nearly three years ago, when individuals are procuring their street art exhibits of... Almost um, four now. For now, yeah. Oh, wow. When everyone's procuring their, their street art exhibits that you'll no doubt see going down Skid Row and other questionable parts of L.A., Vitral Deese's paintings, the reproductions of his paintings and prints are on display for just everyday people to, to buy it. And I don't think I've really seen a movie more profound in about five minutes than the entire what hour 45 minute runtime because it's like like that's the message right there the fact that oh my god art reproduction you can't stop it you know copyright may as well not exist and this is how it affects people going forward and I mean, it's, it's like, like if, you've got that now with the, the whole ai stuff too like you can't and, and it's can't like if all it. if only the people who spent ten dollars on that on that painting that was on cardboard knew of the fates of the of the main characters and and whatnot and it's like I really want to get in my head that it's just sort of the whole like art is art and the individuals who choose to have ignorance about it will. Mm -hmm. 
or choose to view it in their own perspective undoubtedly will and be damned if any conflicting point arises. I mean, I came away liking the movie quite a bit once fully realizing that, you know, the the, the just desserts were, were just indeed, mm-hmm. okay? And the fact that individuals in these procurement positions really do take themselves seriously for the sake of the wrong reasons, I feel. Maybe it's just individuals being products of their environment, but representatively speaking you had two characters who knew better you had to you had david diggs and and john malkovich's character who did it because they were pursuant of fulfillment rather than rather than status so i'm sorry to say it doesn't make me feel bad when shitty individuals are killed off and well, i would I even think... they would even go so far as to say as tom sturridge's uh character john Dondon. It wasn't really deserved in that regard, too. He was just trying to... I forgot Sandman was in this. Yeah. He he was just trying to connect with with John Malkovich, his character. But he was a sleaze, though. I mean... He was a a little bit of a sleaze, but at the end of the day, when when he eventually realized that, oh my god, Pierce doesn't have a new piece to present, he was kind of like, oh, okay, really? you know he didn't go about being like hey like this like this this is what we're doing now and i say that because renee russo Rodora's character she would have josephina she would have okay right. you have these conflicting artistic personalities which some work and some don't and for what it's worth the film's progression progressed in a way where it's like the people who i wanted to live lived the people who i wanted to die outside of morph because at the end of the day he he came around yeah although it was, although it was too late arguably the the star of the movie like he's right. kind of the main character for the most part i think at the end of the day uh there, there really <clears throat> was no main character it was sort of just a bunch of tritagonists coming together because yeah if you want to have a setting like pulp fiction but actual you like an actual Euclidean forward telling story progression, you know, unlike Pulp Fiction, they did it fairly well because you you introduce a bunch of characters at the beginning that you're supposed to care about. And the ones that you get invested in the most, or should I say, the good characters, the, the actual characters with soul, you end up not having them have a lot of screen time, i.e., David Diggs and John Malkovich, you know, mm-hmm. you end up having to follow along Josephina's rise to uh, bitchery, <laughs> which makes it all the more satisfying when her car gets blocked in and then she doesn't have any cell phone reception and then her cell phone ends up crapping out. And then, oh, surprise, surprise, she ends up getting abducted, painted on and then absorbed. What was that? But it was. It was cool. It was cool to see. See, I think, to your point about the the paintings, which I don't think that was Skid Row, but it was definitely downtown. Um, Yeah, it was like downtown, definitely trying to capitalize on the look of individuals who are in it for the quick buck, you know, are in it for... You find these at really any swap meet and, and, and flea market where go down to Hollywood. Get yourself a picture of Kermit the Frog wearing all this swag gear that'll fall <laughs> off within one rinse of going through the washing machine, okay? The point I'm getting at is that I don't 
think those paintings are supposed to be reproductions. I think those are because remember, really? um, okay, what's his name? Uh, the one who was a uh, guy with uh, AirPods that pulled gets... into the painting by the monkeys. Yeah, he. Uh, remember, he's got the cart with all the paintings, right. and the paintings are gone. And it's like, well, where did they go? And I, I think, if anything, that's kind of that's one of those uh, what goes around comes around moments where, oh, hey, all these paintings that he had with him. I do think that those were Deese's uh, paintings that survived or weren't in anybody's hands uh because he did paint on like certain non-canvas uh mm -hmm. items or whatnot so i i, I love love hearing it i i honestly i had a feeling that if anything it's the cheese quality and the camp of the film that i thought was going to turn you completely off so I'm I'm genuinely surprised that like the subject matter of the movie and just the fact that like it's I mean in my opinion we've only in in terms of film and I know you guys are probably going to disagree with me but for me at least I feel like we've only had two good pieces of cinematic satire in the last like 5 years and this mm -hmm. is one of them. I I kind of look at this movie and and think like if that point can get through to the viewer, which I don't think it did at the time, it got through to some reviewers, but I know that, again, the big, big thing that ultimately kind of killed the movie, and it's probably why at this point it's kind of forgotten, was the fact that it was this promise of you're going to get basically another Nightcrawler because it's the same crew, same director, same lead actor, and it wasn't. So, if anything, right. the fact that it, it actually has... The, the actual point of it has actually lived on in any way, I think is a plus. And I think the fact that you... You, you know, you, you caught wind of that. Because, again, not a lot of people did when it came out. So, I mean, we, even when I saw it for the first time, I didn't totally know what to make of it, but I kept thinking, if I keep watching this... And, and start picking up on things, maybe I'll get it. I still think Nightcrawler is the superior film, and again, fascinated to know what you think of that uh, at some point. It's definitely a smaller movie, but at least from a filmmaking standpoint, it feels more quality, I guess. My big thing when it comes to seeing movies is not only the message at the end, which really could be interpreted as as anything you know you could look at it as a capitalization of all things not important or just wrong in nature you know the fact of the matter is that art procurers and critics you know hey don't do that don't be an art critic like if you want to if you want to just be like single shot don't be shitty in terms of representative media go for it you know because if, mm -hmm. if one piece sticks out to you and invokes thoughts and feelings in you, then I, me sitting here on this podcast grandstanding that I either liked a piece of media or didn't like a piece of media isn't going to deter your line of thought. My next question would be, if this movie was set to achieve any kind of solution, you know, my question would be, well, what would that be? And what immediately comes to my mind is essentially what I, what I just proclaimed, like, how do you not have individuals focus on art in regards to a 
a monetary or status you know how do you have a sort of a, a more collective mindset of just doing it for the sake of fulfillment like some characters in this movie eventually did and i'm saying that because i know it's possible i saw it firsthand okay i saw people roll the dice look at their cards look at their options and say this was more important and they didn't know that in choosing fame or notoriety they didn't know that that was what was ultimately going to kill them in the end but the fact of the matter is is that I think you have a lot of people still choosing the former because they think that that's the key to success. And at the end of the day, when you see um, Natalia Dyer, I think I called her Natalie, Natalia Dyer, uh, Coco, the intern, end up going home because this life wasn't for her. Either that or the opportunities dried up because all of her bosses kept dying. Employers are dead. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of like, what's more important? The fact that if I would have stuck around in this position, I may have found I may have garnered some success or the fact that I gave it I gave it my best shot. And that was it at the end of the day Um, for me. And I I know I briefly mentioned this um, in contrast with this movie. To me, I feel like Velvet Buzzsaw and 2019's The Platform affected me on a more different level and if if there's one bit of homework that i'd like to instill on you this time it's to watch this movie if you haven't done so already because if you want to have more so a feeling of like what's important communally and the fact that different um different levels of status and power like how that ends up screwing over those below my god watch this movie and by god don't watch it dubbed in english like please watch it in the original spanish language that it is in is it on netflix or it's on netflix okay okay it's it's a disturbing movie both movies are are equally disturbing in their own right because it forces you to think about a perspective that i think as an average artist in la or new york or really anywhere i gotta get out of the habit of mitigating it to just one of two cities but to be fair what other cities are talked about Chicago? Eh, actually, maybe. I think to the average artistic denizen who looks at this movie and is like, well, if, I definitely... If any of them have viewed this movie. If any of them have viewed this movie. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think they look at sort of like an art critic and automatically disassociate and be like, well, I don't want to be like Morph. Well, right. I, I implore you to watch the rest of the movie to see how he comes around. I definitely wouldn't want to be like Josephina because I think that's what a lot of people end up being when they successfully achieve their 15 minutes of fame. That's why I'm, I'm not a fan of the character. That and also right. just the fakeness of the performance is so strong mm-hmm. that yeah. it just I, I'm, I'm repulsed by her every... It, it's, a, it, oh. it's, a vani- it's a vanity endeavor, you know? Yeah. It's the it's the perspective that, hey, you two can make it big, but <clears throat> little do people realize that you just have to find someone's lifeless corpse to capitalize on, which, let's be serious, you're not going to find many of those opportunities, so that's pretty much dead in the water. Watch the platform if you haven't seen it, because I don't think I've ever been more disturbed by a movie and have been so awestruck about the lasting impression that it gave me alongside the message 
And this is a film that doesn't offer you any answers. At least in Velvet Buzzsaw, I can tell who was shitty and who was not. In the beginning, I thought everyone was shitty. And then it, you know, it, it achieved some status of equilibrium. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm talking about. You know, the whole final destination element. It, it gets a pass from me. Yeah, when you're at the top, you really don't stop and wonder about those who are below you. In, and in both movies, this applies. I'll leave it at that. Thank you for holding me hostage, a la uh, Malcolm McDowell and Clockwork Orange and forcing me to see this movie. Because uh, it was a real treat. I still... I still Ludwig Van the entire time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I still think uh you know I I I know I've been a broken record about it and I think going forward I I don't see myself uh being as such just because again new directions um but I think I it does make me wonder then how how you would or how you would feel with Nightcrawler given again it's th there's there's the similarities that are the similarities that are very much uh obvious and then there's just the fact that these are supposed to be two very different films that do tackle a lot of these sort of questions on you know profit and mm -hmm. i could have been somebody and and yeah. be, being being a smug schmuck that ultimately either gets their just desserts or maybe you could have climbed to the top even though like basically it's somebody that climbs to the top because they stuck to that American dream grind uh -huh. mindset that actually kind of echoes our, pr our previous discussion. Um, I mean, I mean, shoot, you could have recast this and shot velvet buzzsaw too, with a bunch of finance and tech bros. And the one who makes the shittiest NFT dies. <laughs> it, it probably, so you know, them, they, all die. <laughs> they just, they just, yeah. they just all die. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, be, because by, by definition, entities are shitty. Because because you could have re, you could have recast this um, as a, like unfriended, right? Where it exists in a in an entire Skype call, and that's all the movie is. It's one big screen recording. Yeah, admittedly, that's a pretty good idea for a movie because it's like it not only portrays have, like, the zero same, budget. <laughs> portray, Zero budget portrays virtually the same message. It's satisfying to know that all in all, the worst ideologies and mindsets get their just desserts. And I don't know, I guess the, the good protagonist just ends up coming to the realization that they can just log off and live their life mm -hmm. and not have to be inundated with, oh, wh what's this crypto doing? And it's like, j just close the fucking computer. See, I'd, go outside. I'd, I'd be for it. The only my only hesitation though is that Jake Gyllenhaal's next LA Netflix movie after this was during the pandemic. So mm -hmm. there was that like closed space. It's just him talking to people uh on the phone. Yeah, there there's the whole idea of the bad people get their just desserts, but it's also like, yeah, but the bad people is like far away. Or spoilers the main character so it, you're just right. like and that's why after that i was like okay between that and his michael bay movie i'm i'm tapped out so mm -hmm. unless you know unless unless they they do uh nightcrawler folia dear or whatever 
uh, like with Joker, then maybe I'll return to it. But otherwise, I, I think uh, Velvet Buzzsaw was a good a good end to his L.A. trilogy. Which, and I'm not I'm not gonna make you turn around and go see End of Watch as well because I think we're we're past that. Matt, before we wrap up, uh, I'm curious because I know you said that you had already seen the movie, but I guess what would sort of be a summary of your thoughts or, or if there's anything you wanted to add to the Velvet Buzzsaw discourse, which I think at this point uh, the book is finally closing after three seasons. Because <laughs> Sebastian finally saw it after three seasons. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting look at people who, at people's self-importance, especially in the art world. I think it it gave a lot of perspective as to like just like what what is what is the point of it all really like like art criticism critique build like just the the pretension or the pretensity what is the word pretentiousness the, yeah the pretentiousness and also don't forget the the commercialization that's yeah, a huge pretentiousness commercialization the greed the the power struggle that is living in a lot of these artsy or urban or like hard to access worlds and it's 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 so at the end at the end of the day it was consequential for the individuals involved but at the end of the day for everyone else it's so inconsequential like no one no one gives a shit about whether or not hobo man was derivative or not most people aren't even ever going to see hobo man they don't even know it exists so what's the what's the point like nothing nothing these people are doing is honestly contributing to anything and that's that's kind of the struggle that i'm looking at now in in my just my own career it's like what am i doing to contribute and not again not every single career has to be something that's like actively has tangible effects that you can see ripple out into the nether with a network of like oh you impacted this you created that you did this It's, it's not going to happen like there's plenty of people who go through life every day and are perfectly happy just doing what they do and not really caring or about much else. And that's fine. Like you don't have to be the next game changer, but in, in the grand aspect of things, like those people are more important. Again, to quote Ratatouille, the average piece of trash is worth more than our criticism designating itself. I think this was a, a more adult explanation of Ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> if anything else, too, with the film, uh, and I, I'm going to hopefully try and say something that I haven't said already on this podcast with regards to Velvet Buzzsaw, but I think as well with this movie, it very much also exists within a bubble in terms of... It, it, it's sort of like it's a snake eating its own tail, but it's also doing that within a tank of other snakes eating their own tails where the 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 deep irony of the film was oh you know it's got this veneer to it because of its its talent and because you know oh netflix you know at this point in time when it came to netflix and its films it was really tapping into providing bigger more you know potentially uh award-worthy cinema i.e uh Roma, which came out around the same time. I remember watching both of these movies repeatedly back to back because I was like, these are both great, but they're also two polar opposites in terms of, you know, filmmaking. Um, But also just the fact that this was a film that was trying to poke fun at something that it was existing off of. 
and it was trying to use that to get people to go see it at home or on their iPhones like I did. You know, it was either people didn't get it, people didn't like it because they thought they were being pandered to or, or talked down to, or just the fact that the satire went over their heads and they were like, well, it's supernatural and Nightcrawler wasn't supernatural. So they they tuned out because they, they didn't have that dark noir thriller sense that, you know, that touches upon, you know, human identity, capitalism, the media and all that kind of stuff that Nightcrawler really drives home at. With this, it's like it's a completely different animal within L.A. made by those very people. And so I think that's something that for the last several years since it came out, we've forgotten that you can make those kinds of movies that do poke fun at the industry by people within that industry. It's just I think people ought to be a little bit more understanding of that. And yeah, We've had a lot of movies over the years that have been pretty campy, and the acting has been pretty stilted, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be bad or it's going to suck. I think if you go into, if you go into a movie like Velvet Buzzsaw thinking it's going to be like something else, or thinking it could be Oscar quality, then you're, you're going to be disappointed. You know, Roma already had the buzz around it, it had the credentials with uh, Alfonso Cuaron directing it. With a movie like this, you can't just think, oh, well, it has to be the best, Jerry, the best. It's like, no, it, watch it, give it some thought, and don't be ready to pull out your six-shooter when you're like, oh, it's making fun of people like me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more Vanderwall. What is this? You know, like, no. It, yes, film critic you can be satirized too and on that note i think we've gone on long longer than we needed to on velvet buzzsaw but uh i will say happy to have had this discussion i will admit uh and um yeah gentlemen it's uh the end of the year is upon us the end of the season is upon us and uh it's weird i i can't believe it i can't believe we're we're at this uh precipice about to don't like it we're, Stop making me consider my own mortality. We're we're Indiana Jones, and we're about to, you know, make make that leap. Stop making me consider my own mortality. <laughs> Smash has got a couple months before he's considering that, so you know it's. I don't know what twenty three is gonna. Uh, excuse me, twenty twenty three is gonna have in store, but you know, give it that first month into into being twenty five, and and we'll see how everything goes. Because for all we know, uh. Sigma variant finally. I don't know. This is the. <laughs> this is our. This isn't our season finale, correct? No, we're. This is no. We have one more. This is the uh, penultimate episode of this the, is the penultimate episode. Right, right. Well, gentlemen, I could safely say that uh, I look forward to it, and by it, I mean season four, and I'm sure that that'll be even more so mentioned in. The ultimate episode. No. <laughs> the episode. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's movies like these and it's discussions like these that, you know, make me really grateful for just all the time we've spent covering uh news and, and life instances like this. And there's no really other way to go but forward. So 
I'm going to go spend some time with my family. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to make the most out of my life before I'm, uh, I shuffle off this mortal quarter, uh, quarter coil as a, uh, as a know nothing artist and predominant, uh, podcast speaker. So gentlemen, if there's nothing else, adios. You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life Show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Urbrick, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. If you keep going, you'll make it to Mars. Mars.